Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why are young conservatives buying into identity politics instead of things like small government and economics? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all the social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This is B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Use the coupon code Jackson right now. Get the latest class, Reading Andrew Jackson, for $70 off. That is August of 2023 only. But you do want to get that because it's the lowest price you'll ever get that class. So at checkout, click on Reading Andrew Jackson. Get 70 bucks off by using the coupon code Jackson. You can buy other classes there too. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com, clicking on the support tab. You can click on the little heart button if you're watching on YouTube. That's the super thanks button. You go to Spotify for podcasters. You can throw a few pennies my way. You can also click on the shop tab and get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give it a five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. And send me those show requests. All those things help get more eyes and ears on the show, and it keeps the show fresh. All right, well, I want to talk about these young conservatives and this, this new conservative movement away from what's often considered to be the core tenets of American conservatism, which would be small government and economics. And we're looking more at things like the culture war. We're looking at identity politics, con- young conservatives are. And I've seen this. And, and, and actually what I've seen is conservatives looking more toward, toward authoritarianism and away from other things, away from kind of what you might say are the libertarian tenets of American conservatism as being the basis of a new American conservative model. Why? Why is this happening? Why are American conservatives, and by the way, American leftists doing the exact same thing? Economics is something else. That's become just whatever. Look, we don't talk about economics anymore because most people don't understand it. And as I mentioned yesterday, when you start talking about trillions of dollars, it's too large for people to conceptualize. And we've all become accustomed to inflation. It used to be inflation was an issue. I mean, you look at the 19th century, you had political parties developed because of inflation. 
because of inflationary policies, or at least pushing inflationary policies, or those fighting against inflationary policies. But what's happening now is remarkable. We've seen very high level inflation, and for a time, there was some pushback on this. Some. But what's happened? People have accepted it. They've just simply moved on. Inflation is still 3% or more. And what that does is steal 3% of your income every single year. But people don't care. They don't care because they've just become, they've just come to accept it. Well, we have inflation. Inflation's good at 2% or 1%. 1% inflation is good because we've come to accept that inflation is part of our everyday life. Prices go up, products shrink, you get more air in your bag of potato chips, your potato chip bag shrinks, your party size now is a snack size. That's all that we recognize. We recognize inflation and we just deal with it. Now, some of that is propped up because of credit and other things because of what we can do with that. But that's how Americans have come to accept these things. So economics really don't matter anymore. As long as I can do what I want with my money, as long as I have a little disposable income, as long as I can get by, they're going to be okay with it. Now, you see them make choices. I mean, people start making economic choices based on the price of things, you know. Uh, and then they see, well, you know, eggs were $8 a dozen, but now they've gone down back to, you know, $4 a dozen. Where just a few years ago, they were two fifty dollars a dozen. But we've accepted $4 because that's lower than $8, you see. It's better. So this is often, this is Orwellian in some ways, right? You raise the price of something, then you drop it down a little bit, and people are happy with it, even though they're still paying more than they used to pay. It doesn't matter because they just see the relief. They don't have to pay this higher price now. They pay the higher, lower price. Your chocolate ration has gone up, even though we know the chocolate ration has decreased. Even though we know the prices have, have come down, even though we know prices have gone up. You see, this is the way it works. Economics don't matter. Small government. Yesterday we talked about small is beautiful. And small government. That should be a major tenant of American conservatives. Well, that's a smaller government. Well, what we figured out with that, or at least what conservatives are starting to see with that, is that, well, smaller government uh, doesn't get what I want culturally. We've got the culture wars going on. And so the left has taken control of the center. In some cases, you know, some states, but really it's about the center. It's about the bureaucracy, the fifth column. They've taken control of the fifth column, as naturally they would. They've taken control of corporations. So the only way we can go after these things is through government. We have to clean out the government, put our own people in it, and go do to them what they do to us. We need to uh, go after the corporations, which, of course, if you look at the very Jeffersonian position of America, then going after corporations is not anti-American. I mean, trying not to have a, you know, trying not to have a corporate America would be a, a good thing. Uh, again, if you get reading Andrew Jackson... He sounds a lot like a real Jeffersonian that way in, in much of his correspondence on corporations. The Jeffersonians were suspicious of corporations and what they would do. But it used to be, for a long time, corporations were the, were the bullhorns of conservatives. They would go out and trumpet whatever conservatives wanted. And so the left was very much anti-corporate America. But they took them over. The left took over corporations. And now conservatives in America are trying to figure out what corporations to go and and use right to to shop with or utilize what what corporations in america can they use and they find these certain companies these areas that they'll, they'll go shop there or they'll go use their products and they'll avoid the others 
So now we have the culture war in corporate America. What happened with corporations, though, is interesting. It's human resources divisions, and it's the EEOC that really changed everything in corporations. It's lawsuits. That's what changed everything, lawsuits. So uh, it's the federal government, again. See, they're a symptom of the disease. The disease is the central authority. The disease is extreme centralization. You've got authoritarian, aggressive government with an ideological agenda. One thing I do get a lot of is, you know, what, what is X, Y, and Z supposed to do? A libertarian is supposed to do about X, Y, and Z. I need to come up with some ideological construct for these things. I'm not an ideologic. I'm not an ideology. I'm not an ideologue. Excuse me, if I could speak today. I'm not an ideologue, right? So for me, I look at tradition. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to come up with some construct to how how to deal with these things. Either there's no or yes. Either it's constitutional or it's not. That's the traditional construct in which I live. So it, it, politically, so I mean, it's it's either one way or the other. Now, I was just reading a, a piece as before I came on talking about a new a Supreme Court case that's going to be heard about taxes and how that doesn't even matter anymore. The justices are not, not looking at the Constitution. They're looking at the implications, the ramifications of the law. Right? Is it going to be good or bad? And that means that we often have unconstitutional legislation declared constitutional because undoing it would be bad. That's utilitarian. That's Jeremy Bentham. That's not, that's not conservative at all. But that's now counted as conservative. It's now counted as you know, originalist, these kind of things. So we've got some real structural problems in America, and it's creating that. Those structural problems are creating the symptoms of the disease. This is what Kirk Sale was talking about and what I talked about yesterday. The disease is centralization. The disease is the fifth column. That's the disease. And then it creates all the symptoms, right? If you think about a physical ailment in your body, you've got some kind of disease some kind of chronic disorder. It creates symptoms all over your body. And so oftentimes, uh, doctors will treat symptoms and not treat the disease. The disease is harmful. Getting rid of the disease might be difficult. It might even be fatal for some people. It depends on the disease. So you treat the symptoms because the disease is ultimately going to kill you anyways. But getting rid of it would also kill, it, kill the organism. Well, that's kind of the way we are with the, with the general government now, is it not? We've got a disease. We've got the bureaucracy. We've got extreme centralization. This is created by the Lincolnians, by the nationalists in the 19th century. They created it. Now it's metastasized to a point where if you cut out the cancer, you probably kill the whole organism. Well, in some ways, wouldn't that be the wish? But some people love the organism, right? So killing the organism is not what they want. So they just try to fight. They just use the symptoms, say, we're going to fight it. We're going to keep fighting it with whatever therapies we can, even though the disease is going to kill it anyways. That's what Sale was talking about yesterday. But all these conservatives now moving into identity politics, they're taking what the left has done for years and making it their own. Well, if you can't beat them, join them is the kind of thing. And by joining them, we're going to use the same kind of language, the same kind of rhetoric, the same kind of tactics, the same kind of response. We're going to do all this stuff and expect different outcomes. We're going to expect that we're not going to get left-wing fascism in America, left-wing totalitarianism, or left-wing authoritarianism. It's not going to happen. That's what we're going to get. You see, cutting it out would, would cut their power. That would be the point. 
And you might be able to get to an issue where you have a real federal republic again. Maybe. I don't know. But it would take some kind of effort and people at the state and local level to do this kind of thing. right? So I'm going to read this little piece. It's from Market Watch. And its title is, Young Conservatives Buy Into Identity Politics and Shift from Past Republican Focus on Free Markets and Small Government. So this is written by uh, Nathan Howard. It's a short little piece. But he says, spend a day with young conservatives, and you may find that they don't have much to say about the U.S. economy. This is true. Again, it's out of our comprehension. We can't understand trillions of dollars in spending. We can't understand this amount of revenue the general government has. And we don't really understand modern monetary theory. We don't really understand you know, Austrian economics. We don't understand any of that stuff. The equations. You, you look at an, a modern economics textbook, and the equations and things that are used, it confuses people. They can't understand it. They, don't, they can't understand all the corruption in banking and finance, corporate corruption. They can't understand all that stuff, all the legal things that happen in the background. It's beyond their comprehension. It's too complex. Some people get it. They want to play the game. That's why they get into it. But for most people, it's, look, we understand these things. You have this amount of revenue and this amount of, of uh, expenses. And so how do you deal with that? But when you're talking about trillions... It's too big. How do you even manage that? Right? So they stop talking about economics. They've accepted inflation. They've accepted these things because this is the way things are. And it's never going to change. Changing it would be disruptive. You hear all the time. I mean, think about what historians have done for years when it comes to economics in American history. They always paint things as disruptive, right? Well, we had Grover Cleveland come into office in the 19th century. We had a Great Depression. We had a panic because of Grover Cleveland and what he had to do. He put us back on the gold standard. He limited inflation, in other words. Well, that's bad. Or you think about, well, you know, when Franklin Roosevelt came into office, we had this guy, Herbert Hoover, who was there. And Herbert Hoover believed in limited government and small economy. But yet... Franklin Roosevelt understood the value of spending money, even though the New Deal was Herbert Hoover's idea, even though Franklin Roosevelt campaigned on cutting spending and cutting taxes. It didn't matter. What he did was spend money. We had this guy, Lyndon Johnson, come in, and all the great things that he did by spending money. It was guns and butter, you see. And the butter is the important part. And so we spent money. You see, this is what it comes down to. Nobody really, we've been told from our time we were little in history classes that spending money is the best thing to do. And anyone that opposes that disrupts the economy and creates depressions. Why do we have the Great Depression in 1929? Because of Republicans and small government and limited spending. In reality, it was expansion of credit that did all that. Malinvestments. Too much energy in the economy from the general government. From the general government. That's not how it's portrayed. You go back, and I remember this, 2008. 2008. 
when we had uh, Hillary Clinton really thinking she was going to get the nomination before Barack Obama swooped in and took it from her. And you had um, you know, the Bush years. And I remember Hillary Clinton standing up and saying, you know, uh, or this was during 2007, right? It was in the lead up to the election. So we've had the TARP now. We've had, we had this economic downturn. We had the housing crash, 2007. For a lot of you, maybe some of you listening to this, maybe you're too young to remember that. We had this 2007 economic crisis. That was now, what, you know, 16 years ago, almost two decades ago. And the general government comes in and passes a massively unconstitutional spending program, the TARP. And of course... Bush's initial response was not to do something like that. Well, the Democrats just let him have it. We've seen this before. That was Herbert Hoover. He did nothing, and look what happened. We've seen that narrative before. So we go and we spend money. This is why conservatives now don't talk about economics anymore, because they think they've lost the battle entirely. And usually when you start talking about sound money and limited spending and things like that, well, the response is you want to throw a granny off a cliff, right? So you want to starve people, you want to, you want to punish people. So they've they've dropped that entire argument. You see, it doesn't matter. They're they believe they've lost, so they got to move on to something else. When in reality, they haven't lost. I mean, e- economies have limits. You only do so much. So the piece says their current priorities, meaning young conservatives, social issues like abortion and transgender rights, could be a signal that the modern conservative movement is moving away from its traditional messaging focused on free markets and smaller government, at least one political scientist says. At least one political scientist says. Well, I don't think this is necessarily untrue. I think this political scientist, whoever the heck it is, has their ear to the ground in some ways. I'm seeing this. The the culture wars, which is what Pat Buchanan predicted in 1992, are going to be important for the future. But why, again, are they important? Because we've got a central government that's engaged in it. It's the, it's the disease of centralization. If there was no central authority to do this through the bureaucracy, you wouldn't have this issue. It's been that way. It's been that way. For hundreds of years in America, a couple hundred years now. I'll talk about that tomorrow. There's actually a piece in the New York Times I'm going to mention tomorrow. How the culture war really isn't anything new. It began really in the 18th century, but definitely in the 19th century. And of course, the seeking of power from the center. And what that could do, how that could affect society, how they could change society with rhetoric. Many of the young people attending the National Conservative Student Conference this week in Washington, D.C. said the health of the economy was not a burning issue for them. Not a burning issue. Again, they've accepted the bad. They've accepted inflation. They've accepted these things. They've accepted what they've been given because they don't think they can change it. The event hosted by Young America's Foundation, an organization that calls itself an outreach organization of the conservative movement, Feature speakers like Newt Gingrich, the Georgia Republican who served as Speaker of the House from 95 to 99. <laughs> now, YAF, when I was in college, YAF was interesting. Right? I used them uh, for speakers 
when I was organizing a club. And they've been around a long time. Uh, but they do have things like Newt Gingrich. And it's, it's basically vanilla conservatism. Among older conservatives, you'd be more likely to hear support for things like anti-tax, anti-IRS, anti-government regulation policies, says Matthew Dalek, a professor of political management at George Washington University in Washington. Although inflation is the most important issue to 77% of Republicans, according to a report from Pew Research, college students in interviews with Market Watch instead mentioned education, abortion, identity politics, guns, and transgenderism as the main issues facing the country. So Republicans overall say inflation's bad, right? We gotta we gotta tame that. But young conservatives, this is what they're focusing on here now. The identitarians. Why are they doing this? Because they've conceded that these issues are never going to go away. We're always gonna have inflation. We're always going to have these problems, the economic problems. So what we have to do is focus on the other stuff because that's really what they've done is said, we're going to have these things. We're not going to worry about that. We're just going to focus on these issues. Now, where would these issues be most effectively fought is the question. Of course, it's a state and local level. But they're still looking to the center because of the disease of nationalism, the disease of Lincolnian nationalism. They have Newt Gingrich, a Lincolnian, talking to these people. This reflects what the energy of the Republican Party is in the conservative movement, Dalek said. All these questions of identity and culture, the sense that America is, as they see it, slipping away from them is what animates the modern conservative movement, he said. It's not energized so much by tax cuts or deregulation. So what energizes them is the, is the culture issues, the culture war. It's important. There's no question this is important. It energizes them because, of course, they feel like the center is abusing them. And so how do you change that? You get Donald Trump in there to own the libs. You get Donald Trump in there to mean tweet. It's funny. And they think they're going to get them back. right? They're going to take these people down. They're going to change everything. From the center that's done everything to destroy everything they want. And somehow they're going to change that? It's the very definition of insanity. The very definition of insanity. This is what they believe. But when pressed, even the young people who claimed indifference to economic issues expressed frustration about the economy. Uh, Brianna Marsh, the director of membership at Young America's Foundation, has a degree in finance. Said that for her, the biggest issues are, from the conservative perspective, the Second Amendment, as well as transgender issues. When asked about the economy, Marsh said, I don't like the way that we're going. Adding the policies being implemented across the United States are just not good. When asked about specific policies, she said, truthfully, I couldn't name any right now. <laughs> this is, I mean, look, the piece is kind of picking on Brianna Marsh here in a way. But in reality, this is what most voters say. Well, you, um, we got, I mean, Donald Trump is terrible. Why? I don't know. Because he's terrible. Joe Biden is awful. Why? I don't know. Because he's Joe Biden. This is what most Americans are. They don't really know why they don't like it. They just don't like it. That's the whole point. They, they get whatever they get from whatever news source. And that's why they don't like it. William White, a, a student at Utah Valley University in Orem, Utah, said that mental health is the most important issue the country faces. If 
But among economic issues, the high cost of living is particularly troubling to him. In an ideal world, he said, the solution would be up to businesses. But if it need be, the government should get involved because the cost of living has to go down. He added, my hope gets lower when I look at the economy. Now, what did he just say there? The culture wars are important. Mental health. We've got a mental health crisis. We've got all these people running around that are mentally ill. This is true. We have a lot of mentally ill people running around out there right now, all over the place, in all kinds of ways. But what do we do? Well, the economy. Hopefully business take care. But if nothing else, the government has to get involved to take this stuff on. Now, can you imagine any conservative saying that at the from a national perspective, right? The central government at any time in, say, the last 40 years or so. Now, one of the interesting things about this, you know, let's look at someone like George Wallace. George Wallace was a conservative, but he was conservative at the state level. He used the state to do these kind of things. There is a different kind of conservatism here. There's also that part of it, too. But in reality, what you have is people focusing on the culture wars because they think that's the greatest threat to their identity, to who they are, right? To, to, to society itself. And it's coming from the center, so they have to try to change the center. And a lot of this is done, again, through the courts. I mean, that's where it happens. This is where the, the EEOC and other things have really been effective in that way, in, in silencing people and cutting it out because there's the threat of lawsuits all the time. And nobody wants to get sued. It's expensive. It can, I mean, destroy your life. It's hard, right? So people just comply because they don't want to go through it. And you understand it. I mean, it's, it's completely understandable. So uh, going in and, but see, when conservatives go in, they never clean anything up. They don't say, all right, we're taking that out. Because they'll find, well, doing that might do more damage than it might do good. I mean, this is the kind of argument, that's talking about the taxes, this is the kind of argument you get. Other conference attendees who said they looked at a particular interest in economic issues shared similar views. Some said that the economy is, in fact, the most important issue, but because Americans across the board are suffering. I vote for the money, said Victoria Bringle, a student at the University of Oklahoma. She said that although the cost of living keeps rising, wages are not going up. She described friends who work full-time jobs to put themselves through college, saying they have sacrificed mental health and grades for $13 an hour wages that weren't enough to make ends meet. We're not asking for handouts, just wages that pay better, she said. Why do you get higher wages, right? And what's the real issue behind the reason that $13 an hour doesn't make it? Well, because of inflation. <laughs> you see. This is the real reason. It's the symptom, right? The, the, they're, they're, they're facing the symptom of the disease. <laughs> and they're not wanting to cut out the disease. And what is? why do we have inflation? Well, because we spent money. We print money and we spend money like crazy. That's why you have the disease. We're not talking about getting rid of that. In fact, we need to have higher wages, right? So let's the government come in and raise the, raise the minimum wage. Well, what's that going to do? It's going to create more inflation. Ringel said that mo the most frustrating cost increase is that of college tuition. Well, why is that going up to? Because there's guaranteed money, you see. The government's guaranteeing either Pell Grants or student loans, whatever it is. They guarantee all of that. And so colleges will at least have their tuition at that pegged at that point. You might get a little bit extra. Well, you got a little bit there. But they're going to peg it. Or maybe it's more than what you can get in loans or grants. 
And so you have to pay more out of pocket. But most schools, state schools in particular, are going to peg it right around that price. So you don't really have to do too much else to get through school. You see, besides take out student loans. Other students sitting around her, her t- at a table echoed the sentiment, although they said that canceling student loans, a, p- a policy priority among progressive Democrats embraced of late by President Joe Biden, is a bad idea because, as one of the students noted, people should pay what they owe. Bringle agreed with a fellow attendee who said that paying thousands of dollars to attend a school where your voice is a, as a conservative student isn't valued is extremely frustrating. Well, I mean, this is another issue. How do you have these systems You have these systems already put in place, universities, colleges. So how do you get around that? I mean, how do you work within a system that's hostile to you? That is a big question. And people have been asking this question for a long time. It is frustrating for people. Why do you send your money to a place that doesn't like you? Well, because you need the credentials. You need the piece of paper. This is why people do it. But smart people are trying to figure out ways around this. They're looking at scholarships. They're trying to use other methods. They're trying to do things. And they're trying to get other work within systems to try to get they don't really care about that they just need the paper and they're going to go do something else bringle agreed with with a fellow attendee who said that paying thousands of dollars to attend school where you're uh, i'm sorry just said that yf's march 2 waiting on the topic students when they're feeling alone on campus even though they're not alone and they feel ostracized and they feel like everyone is screaming at them that they're crazy they look to yf which she described as an organization that fights to for conservative students' rights on campus in a very tangible way. So the alienation, the isolation on the campus, right? You're in this environment where most of the people there, it seems like, are leftists, and you kind of feel alone. So you get your little group, and that will highlight these issues for you because it's in your face on college campuses all the time. So those things become important. When you get out and you get a job and other things, maybe some of the other stuff becomes important. While you're on campuses, this is where college campuses, I did a podcast on this, how college towns are changing America. When you get these students that go out and vote and do these things, it will change the political dynamics of a state or even just a a congressional district, whatever it is. It will change those things. And all these students on these campuses that feel isolated and alone, they they are in many ways. They are. They're, they're much more lonely there, and, more, and some schools more than others. But um, it's something that I experienced firsthand when I was in college, too. I mean, it's something that happens. Dalek says this feeling of being ostracized among left-leaning peers rather than economic motivations as a primary reason that younger people have joined today's conservative movement. The Republican Party gives them a sense of identity and empowerment, he said, feeling that they're fighting this sort of dominant liberal culture. Well, they are. But the thing is, they're all looking to the center. Newt Gingrich is going to advocate the center because they're they're taught to move that direction. Of course, it's the wrong thing to do. They need to be thinking about decentralization, local politics, local government. That's where the rubber really hits the road and where they would have the most impact. He continued, My sense is that young conservatives see themselves as part of this almost minority on college campuses. For example, that they're kind of the ones who are being oppressed and being canceled. I think that's probably a more pronounced feeling, he said, at least among some young conservatives than it is among older generations. Well, true, because of where they are. Because of where they are, right? 
So there is that your, your local environment will affect how you think about politics. And I think you're seeing that with college kids. But I've seen it a lot. I mean, this is a move. There are people moving more towards the culture wars and the culture issues away from the things that define. And, they, and they're fine with big government. Hey, we need big government to come in for wages. We need bug, big government to come in for housing. We need these things. For the center or for the state are the big questions. Where does that work? Right? And as we talked about yesterday, what size and what scale? How does all this work too? So all these are big issues, and it's all a symptom of the disease. That's what I want to constantly hammer home. These are symptoms of the disease. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClendon Show. See you then.